You're listening to Doug and Randy on Unbroken Jars. This is episode eight, Finding Peace in Great Loss. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down. We're not destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, that is Jesus. Jesus continues to use real life stories of those around us to mold us. We will dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories. Their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in Unbroken Jars of Clay. Today, Jason Bobby is joining us. He works alongside of Randy and I here at Mayfair, and he's our lead minister. And I know if you're listening in to this and, and you hear that all right, we got a preacher guy coming in to tell his story. I know you're probably thinking, oh man, a preacher. So he's going gonna to preach on to us. But Jason has a great story to tell about his life, an amazing story. And and Jason is not that typical preacher guy. He's a very genuine, uh, good fellow yeah. that, that we're close to. Um, so thank you. Points. So I'll start with the letter P that I'm going to like walk you through here. <laughs> You're already already got your lesson plan and organized, but tell us a little bit uh, about your family. Like, what do you do here at Mayfair? Yeah. And tell a little bit about. I, I love your hiring process, so that's one oh, of man. the questions that I wanted to like how how you got connected here. Absolutely, yeah. Well, first of all, I really appreciate you guys inviting me to come and, and spend a little bit of time with you here. I love what you're doing, and uh, just being able to hear people's stories. You know, I, I love that we have this as just one platform to be able to hear, you know, people's real life stories. So, yeah, um, so yeah for, for me, um, my wife, Sonny and I moved here uh, to Huntsville in 2002. Uh, we, we now have three children, uh, three teenagers that we're trying to raise that are in the youth group here. But, um, but we moved to Huntsville all those years ago, not to work with the church. Uh, we actually moved here because we were both uh, being hired to work at Madison Academy. I was coming out of uh, three or four years of, of church work as a youth minister at a, a church in East Tennessee. And, uh, and Sonny uh, is, she spent her whole career in elementary education. So, uh, so yeah, at the encouragement of some good friends of ours, we, uh, we both interviewed at Madison Academy. They were looking for a campus minister and they were looking for a third grade teacher. And so they hired us both. Um, so uh, that was, that was a different kind of ministry for us because we, We'd always kind of thought we would spend um, spend a lot of time in, in like traditional church ministry, you know. Sure. But yeah. um, so we moved to Huntsville and we were kind of like uh, free agents on the church market. We were like, man, this is different. You know, we, we can kind of go wherever we want. And uh, yeah. we went to a, a couple of different churches here in town. But but because we had good friends here at Mayfair, we just kind of showed up here and, and started helping, uh, helping out in the youth ministry really as a volunteer. Um like ordering pizza for devos and like driving vans to retreats. And, uh, you know, at, at, at one point or another, um, 
the the leadership here was like, hey, would you would you be interested in like being our part time youth minister? And um, you know, a lot of my students that I had at Madison Academy were were hanging out over here too. So for me, I just considered it sure. yeah. like, like a no brainer to just be hanging around, you know. Um, and they were like, maybe we paid you for like ten hours a week. Would you be our part time youth minister? And I mean, I wasn't going to tell them that I would have done it for free. I was just going to be here anyway. But if you want to pay me, sure, that's awesome. And um, and so one thing kind of led to another. And and I I was like the the part time junior high youth minister. Okay, I went from like just being a volunteer to the part time junior high youth minister, and and away and away we went. <laughs> you know, uh, that would have been like two thousand two, and um, and I never really had a formal job interview. I just kind of started doing more and more things and. Um, we, we got pregnant with twins. And so I left teaching and came on board here full time as one of our youth ministers and did that for a few years and then transitioned over into um, an associate minister's role, working really closely with Gary Bradley. And so did that for a few years. And then uh, now they let me preach all the time. And I, <laughs> again, like I'm, I'm just, I've never had like a formal job interview around here. I've just sort of showed up and, and started doing things and got to know people and, you know, God's yeah. really, I don't know, God, God's really, uh, really blessed that part of our story. I, I love being able to tell that and just remember what God has done, you know, throughout the years here in this place at yeah. least as it pertains to, to our ministry. You really snuck in the back door is what you did. Yeah, no. really. Yeah. If I had ever had an interview, I'm not sure that we would have ever made it to this point. <laughs> they would have never weeded me wrote. out a long time ago, you know? <laughs> I love that, that, that none of our elders none of us, we still don't know what's on your resume. Like <laughs> I've never had to prepare one. No, like you've never had to prepare one. Go find the one I gave to Madison Academy. That's probably the last one that I developed. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, hey, Jason, if it's okay, I want to take you back, you know, a little bit when you were younger, um, you have a unique story in the sense that uh, when you're a you know, young person, you lost your father. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't mind, can you maybe tell us a little about your dad and what happened to him and, and what was it like to lose him at such a young age? Oh, for sure. Life? Yeah. So I grew up in Lebanon, Tennessee, a uh, little small town then it's, it's kind of more of a suburb of Nashville now, but, um, but I, I grew up in a really good Christian home. I'm grateful for that. Uh, it was just four of us. I have an older sister. She's 12 years older than me. Her name's Tara. And then of course my parents and then me. So um, it was a typical kind of small town in the South sort of upbringing, you know, um, real sense of community. Uh, everybody kind of knew everybody and in, in good ways and bad ways, <laughs> you know, everybody knew your business, but in that um, Cracker Barrel town, home of Cracker Barrel. Uh, yeah, I, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The antique mall capital of the world. I mean, we're famous for lots of things. Wow. So, wow. um, but, but it's, it's a small little town, you know, and, uh, church was a big part of, uh, of our, of our upbringing too. Um, you know, I, I, I joke about this, but it's the truth. I was born on, on a Tuesday and, um, and I was at church on Sunday and I, my story is one of like, I, I just never left really, you know, I just, just kind of grew up in a, in a good home where going to church was, was part of it. Um, my, some of my favorite memories growing up involved just, just the simple things in, in our home. You know, my parents, uh, were, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say well off, but um, my dad never went to went to college. Just as soon as he finished high school, started working, you know, different sure. jobs throughout. My mother was the first member of her family to ever go to college. So um, she was for her entire career, a public school educator. 
So um, I went to school with her and she actually, for, for a small town, you know, to call uh, the, the area of town where she taught, we referred to it as the inner city. That might be a little misleading. I don't know. But um, she taught in what was considered like the inner city public school uh, in my hometown. So, so every day, you know, I'm riding to school with her, coming home to, you know, to dad and, and, and sister. Uh, my dad, growing up, he was, he was my hero, you know, still is. Uh, he was 6'2", probably 225, um, just a big guy, like a mountain of a I tell people, you know, I remember growing up just being able to sort of, he was like a jungle gym, you know, like I could climb all over him <laughs> right. and get on the floor yeah. and wrestle, you know, and, um, yeah. just, just yeah. like the funniest uh, person that I ever knew. Um, he could tell a story about going to the post office and have us crying. You know, he was just hilarious. He spent most of his career in sales. He worked for the Corey Coffee Company in uh-huh. Nashville. So sure. he was like a, he would go door to door to different businesses and sell coffee and coffee makers, you know, like coffee paraphernalia. Back then, this would have been like the 70s. I guess you could do that, you know, nowadays. Yeah. Um, I guess businesses might talk to you, but you know, people ring the doorbell at your house. And you know, a lot of times we don't even want to answer the door. You know, we consider that like an inconvenience, but he was great with people, uh, a great uh, salesman, actually, you know, we mm, um, yeah. got all these awards that he won in the seventies for being like the top salesman in his, uh, in his district or whatever, you know? So um, when I was about nine or 10, we noticed dad was, was kind of, um, not himself, you know, just a little, little more tired, uh, seemed to have less energy. And so, uh, we actually found out that he, he had contracted this really rare form of lung cancer. So, um, which was bizarre because, you know, a lot of times lung cancer is, is typically associated with smokers or whatever, but you know, that wasn't, that wasn't my dad's lifestyle. Um, so it was a little weird, uh, somewhere along the way. And I, I don't, I don't get all of this, but, the story that's told is that um, this particular type of lung cancer that he had was like one out of 1000 lung cancer patients had this particular type or, or, or whatever, you know, really? so it, it, made, it made treatment a little more of a challenge, you know? Um, sure. So, so I would have been like nine or 10 years old at that time. And um, so the doctors tried him on some experimental kind of, um, medications and, um, and all of this sort of thing. But we, we kind of gradually watched him sort of, uh, just, just kind of wither away right in front of us. You know, uh, I remember that summer, uh, he, he was, he was not himself, just didn't, didn't even, um, wouldn't even eat very much, you know? And, uh, one of our, our good friends from church would visit him, uh, and, and, and then he would bring him these uh, frosties from Wendy's, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and that was like their, that was like one of the few things he could eat at that time because because the either the treatment or the cancer was just was just tearing him up. So, yeah. wow. um, but all this really was kind of funny how God works. All that kind of coincided for me with um, a, a decision to to give my life to Jesus. Um, I, I, I know my parents had told me kind of like, here's what's going on with your dad, but, um, but it didn't really sink in, you know? Um, right. And, and I was, I was reading this, this, this children's Bible that I had been given years ago and, and I was reading it like just, I couldn't get enough of it. And it was one of those times where, 
you know, for me, everything kind of started to click. I, I understood what was happening in God's word a little better, not just as like these, these episodes, you know, like when you're a kid or whatever, you know, it's, you, you hear these different Bible stories and they're all kind of disjointed, you know, and they're, they're right. sort of told like episodes. So it's like, oh, this is the, this is the time when David killed Goliath, right? This is the time when Moses mm-hmm. saw a burning bush or, you know, this is the time when Jesus died on the cross. And you don't get the sense, at least I didn't as a kid, that this is all one big, like continuous story. And, right. uh, but somewhere in that reading, I started to get it. Like, this is, this is like, this is the story, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I was bringing that Bible to like the dinner table to read. And I was reading it mm-hmm. before bed and stuff. And, and around this time too, my, my older sister's getting married. So the conversation in the home is like always about the wedding. And I'm like, stick a fork in my ear, you know, like who cares about this wedding, you know? And so at the dinner table, my parents would get upset because um, I would bring books to read because I don't want to hear about the wedding, you know? And Uh and so they tell me, you're not allowed to bring books to the dinner table. And I found like the one loophole was if I would bring the Bible <laughs> to the dinner table and read it, they were, they're not going to, they're not going to tell me I can't read the Bible, you know? And so, yeah. so that, all that was kind of happening in my family and also like in my, in my life, you know, but, yeah. but all of that came at, at this, this time where I started to see what, what God was doing in all these stories. Right. And he's telling this, this huge story. And, and as people come to Jesus, you know, there's this, there's this response of faith and recognizing I need what he can do for me, what I can't do for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I sure. became aware of my own sin and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, and so one, one Sunday morning, I grew up in a, in a faith tradition, kind of like, you know, I'm sure some of us who are listening where uh, the sermon always ends with, you know, an invitation, kind of an altar call, come to the mm-hmm. front if you want the Lord, you know, and just um, as I am, yeah, just as I am, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so, so that, that was kind of what church was like for me growing up. Um, dad is at home. He's not able to come to church. That's how I knew it was really bad. You know, mm-hmm. uh, was, is when dad stopped coming to church. That's, that was like a clue. Yeah. And, and at church, I could hear my mom talk to people and she would tell them details. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't right. know that he, he mm-hmm. wasn't eating anymore. I didn't know, you know, da, 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 da. <clears throat> and so, so dad's at home. Um, and all I've been reading this Bible and been thinking about Jesus. And I just like, there was nothing really particularly good about the sermon that day. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I don't even think I paid attention, honestly. Preachers, um, right. It's, you know, so sometimes, you know, sometimes you got it, sometimes you don't, but, uh, you know, <laughs> a for effort, but, uh, you know, the, the sermon was okay, you know, but, but during, I, I just decided like, you know, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, and I, I, so when the invitation song was sung, I, I just walked past my mom and typically what was happening, we had like this unspoken arrangement. If I sit still through the sermon, then when the invitation is, is offered, I can go to the back and I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get some water and I'll meet you at the car. <laughs> you know, like that right. was just like our deal. But instead <laughs> of walking to the back, I start walking down the aisle, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm responding. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to, you know, be baptized and for, sins forgiven and all that. And, um, as a kid, you know, I never thought to like, you know, tell my mom, this is what I'm doing, right? Who would do that? You know? So I just crawl across my mom and start walking down the aisle and, and I'm halfway down and like my mom chases me down the aisle and grabs my arm oh, no. and turns me around, you know, she's like, what are you doing? 
And you what's know, wrong with you, kid? What's wrong? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, seriously, what am I doing? You've seen this a million times, right? And uh, she's like, you can't do this right now. Your dad's not here. This will kill him. And so we have this whole like hypothetical conversation, you know, and what happens if she's trying to talk me into like doing this at a later time. And I'm like, what if Jesus comes back today and I go to hell forever because of this, you know, we have this whole discussion, but she's, she's wanting me to like, wait, so my dad can be there for it. Yeah. Right. So uh, I'm really glad that she did (laughs) because, um, because we, we went back to our seats. Everybody in the church probably thought my mom was like this godless, you know, woman for (laughs) talking me out of it. But in in our church back then, we, before we would have class on Wednesday night, we had to come together and we had another like devotional and an invitation was offered then too. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so Wednesday night, my dad comes to church with us and he put on, he had one like, uh, jacket, like one church jacket and a tie. That's all he had. Um, and, and he had this like little, this like straw hat <laughs> that he would wear. And that was like dressing up for my dad. Okay. Uh, I right. still to this day have a huge aversion to dressing up for church. And it's mostly because <laughs> of my upbringing, man. Like we were so broke, we couldn't dress up for church, you know? So he, right. he wore yeah. one jacket, uh, and his hat and all this. And, um, and he comes to church that Wednesday night and he, and when the preacher offers the invitation, he walks down the aisle with me and, mm-hmm. and sits there on the front row when I, I take my confession, you know, and, and, and I, I, I'm baptized and, and he, he got to see all of that. And I'm really glad he did. That was the last time my dad ever got to go to church. Oh, wow. So, um, how, how, anyway, how, that, how, I'm sorry, Jason, how old were you? How old were you? when? That so I was when? 10 years old. Um, that would have been the summer, uh, of 1987. I turned 11 later on that fall. Uh, you roll the clock ahead to October and that's when things are really just, uh, really bad. My mom has taken off from school. She's staying home with him around the clock. We have a, like a hospital bed in our home where dad is, is kind of set up in the living room. And, but still, mm-hmm. even then, you know, as a kid, like I didn't, I didn't know all of what was going on. I mean, I kind of had an idea, right. but yeah. I kind of expected him to bounce back, you know, cause we're praying about it. Yeah. And in the stories I'm reading when people pray in the Bible, you know, like stuff, good stuff happens. And so, right. um, so it, it was, it was this, this, there was this moment every, every day before I would go to school, either my mother would take me to school or my sister, but um, then they'd come back and, you know, try to take care of, take care of dad. Um, I'd go in to see dad before I would go to school in the morning. And he was always like at his best, you know, like he was always mm-hmm. funny. He was always like himself. He, now he had lost mm-hmm. like 75 pounds, you know, and he, he mm-hmm. probably looked terrible but to me. I didn't see that, you know, I was just a kid. And so, sure. um, so this one morning I'm about to go into the, to the living room and my mom stops me, you know, and she's like, I, I, your dad would not want you to see him right now. Mm in his, in his condition. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? Uh, and she was using these words. I'd never heard Like, I didn't know what a coma was, you know? Um, but she won the argument in the aisle at church, <laughs> you know, on the baptism, but I was right. like really insistent, like, no, no, no. I, like, I got to see him, you know, this is like what we do. And so she relented and I went in and I, I, you know, reach for my dad's hand and start talking to him and he doesn't respond, you know? Mm. And as bad as it had ever been, I was his only son, you know? So anytime I would come in the room, like I got the best of him, 
but right. I could tell like, okay, something's not, something's not right here, you know? And so I, I believe in a God who's powerful enough to communicate to his people in a variety of ways. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I hear, you know, I read the stories in the scriptures about how God chooses to communicate. And like, I would love to have a burning bush moment. You know, like I would love to have a finger right on the wall kind of moment, you know, but for me, it was more of like the still calm sort of thing. I, God spoke to me in that moment because I had a thought that was too profound for 10 year old Jason. Okay. But God helped me to see in that moment that my dad, although he was alive, he wasn't really living. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so it finally, like it hit me. And again, I know my parents had tried to put this in terms that I could understand as a 10 year old, but, um, but no, man, like I saw him there and not responding. And, and so I finally got it, you know? And, um, and I tell you this next part of the story with some hesitation, because I'm afraid it's so easy to misunderstand. This next part of the story makes me sound like I'm, I'm probably more of a spiritual person than I am, or like a better person. than I, am. I just, I don't mean that. And I, when I tell you the second part of my story uh, in a minute, it'll probably undo some of that goodwill that I can generate with you by telling you this part. But, um, you know, faith of a child. I, I just went across into the next room and and prayed right there. And I, I said to God a prayer that I don't know that I could pray it now, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, I said, God, it, the only reason that my dad is still alive is for me to have a dad here on earth. I don't want that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I said, as long as you promise to be my father in heaven, it's okay with me for you to take my father. Mm. And I finished up that prayer. My sister said, hey, it's time to go to school. I went and got in the car, went to school, took a spelling test, went to recess. <laughs> you know, lunchtime comes and and my name is called over the intercom. And uh, I remember at first I was excited because it, they were having, they were serving meatloaf in the cafeteria that day. And I hate meatloaf. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm getting out of lunch. And I went to the office and I saw my mom, like I knew, you know, and she told yeah. me he had passed away about a half hour after I left for school that morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's, that was obviously it continues to be a huge part of my story but, you know, one of the pieces that helped me through that was this young kind of fledgling sort of faith. And even though, you know, the, the prayers we prayed for healing on my dad's behalf didn't, they weren't answered quite the way we wanted to, there was still this like partnership with God, okay, where at least as it pertained to 10-year-old Jason, you know, I don't know that anybody else in the family was praying that prayer, okay, and, and yeah. so that has implications. But for me, feeling as if, okay, there was this agency of praying for something for a loved one and God hearing it almost immediately, you know, right? and saying, okay, yeah, it's not my will for him to continue life here, but I promise to come alongside of you, kid, okay, and and walk with you through this pain. Jason, Jason, what was it? Maybe uh, just to move forward a little bit, what was it like? Uh, not having your dad there, you know, how was the, what was the adjustment like? And, you know, did you have to take on a different role in the family, like be the man of the house, that sort of thing? Um, no one expects to lose yeah. their dad at such a young age, but how did, how did that, how did that work out? Yeah. Or yeah. Out? Um, well, definitely the volume in our house went down. <laughs> uh, the yeah. lap, there was a season of winter. Um, 
you know, he sure. died October oh, the 20th. And um, my birthday was then November 2nd, a few, a few oh, wow. weeks later. And yeah. my mom tried and she gets, you know, points in my book for anything. I mean, you know, like she could do no wrong for me. But when I blew out my candles, she started, she just wept that year. Oh, you know? sure. And oh, so, so things, yeah. things changed, you know, obviously. I would yeah. say yeah. rather than me becoming the man of the house, my mom and I figured out how to do that together. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so so you roll the clock ahead. I'm I'm you know in my teen years, and she's she's teaching me how to drive. Right, uh, she's the one taking me to to ball practices, and mm. uh, I'm pretty sure we both learned how to change a flat tire at the same time. <laughs> like we, <laughs> so we just we kind of just you know found our way through it. But in in some ways, um, and and I, I think this is true for um, for for children who lose a parent at that young age the surviving parent becomes that much more like bulletproof typically. Sure. You know? Yeah. And that was yeah. definitely the case for me. Um, my mother became my world. Right. Um, and, and I was always probably a little bit of a mama's boy anyway, you know? Um, so I, I, I'm just really, really grateful that uh, I had the parents that I had. I know not everyone can say that, but you know, I had a dad who was my hero and I had my mom who was like the, the nurturer. And it was just like, I just leaned into that and she was, sure. she was you know, uh, she became even more important in my life, you know? Yeah. It sounds like she did a wonderful job of filling a void that couldn't be filled. Right. It, yeah. it couldn't be filled, but she did a great job in, in being kind of a rock there for you in so many ways. It yeah. Like. Yeah. And, and I had kind of a constellation of others. I had good coaches. I had a really great youth minister. I, the one advantage of having a sister who's 12 years older is uh, her husband, Richard, they've been married now for, you know, however long, 30 years or more. Um, I can't, like, I almost can't remember a time when he wasn't around. Right. <laughs> they started dating yeah. when they were in high school, you know. So so I've had a lot of a lot of good surrogate, you know, male role models in my life. But, um, but no one can match my mom's influence um, sure. right. in, in my life, you know? Well, and, and, and there's more to this story. That's, that's, that, that's part of what, what your story is about now, not too long after this. Now your mom got some unexpected news as well. Tell us a little bit about what happened with your mom. Yeah. So, um, and, and this is, this is a little more, uh, maybe difficult, you know, to, to hear for some, um, but I'll just, I'll be as honest as I can with you about it. So, um, so yes, my dad died when I was, was 10, um, when I'm 17, my junior year of high school, uh, we found out my mom has, uh, she's diagnosed with melanoma mm -hmm. and, uh, almost immediately, um, using terms like malignant and, uh, lymph nodes and, you know, all those kinds of like, uh, red flag words are you. Right. And, yeah. um, and so, so a different sort of education on, okay, what does all that mean? Uh, so, so my mom was, um, so different from my dad, you know, she's kind of just, just quiet, but all like super intelligent, you know, like mm. she was the type you could look at her and you could always tell that the wheels are turning, <laughs> you know, right. you may not say yeah. anything out loud, but just like this, this quiet, unassuming, you know, woman. And so, so she's a school teacher. So she goes back to school in like August, September. And, and just like most teachers, I'm married to one. And, and you know, I, 
our first part of the school year, every teacher I know is like dog tired, <laughs> you know? And so right. when that school year yeah. starts, you know, she's, she's exhausted. And um, my sister, again, 12 years older than me. So I'm 17. Tara's 29 now. She's a new mom. She and my mother have reached that point where they have like that cool adult relationship, you know, like yeah, best right. friend sort of relationship. And so, so my sister's a new mom. So she's leaning more on her mom. They've just moved next door. So like Tara and, you know, her, her, her uh, son, Ethan, just had the one child at the time. They're, they're over at the house like every morning, you know, like my mom is like feeding, you know, the Gerber's applesauce to, to Ethan like every morning before right. school. And, stuff. and so Tara's just like, mom, you, you seem sort of tired. And she's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's no big deal. Well, um, she gets her in to see a doctor and, and especially like on, on her back, my mom had this, this, this mole, this spot, it was probably the size of a half dollar. It was always there mm -hmm. just ever since I knew her. And Tara sees my mom out um, in the yard. <laughs> this was like, this was the nineties. My mom would be so embarrassed if I said this, but you know, her, when she would go out and like work in the flower bed, she would put her bathing suit on and then have shorts over it. You know, so like her back is kind of exposed, you know, it's more detail than you want. Yeah. But Tara's like out there looking at <laughs> this, this spot. She's like, you know, it looks like it's kind of chained, like some jagged edges that you need to go get that looked at mom. And so she's like, okay, she does. So she, she gets an appointment for the end of the day after, you know, teaching school and faculty meeting and everything. And uh, so she goes to the local doctor there in small town, Lebanon, Tennessee. And this would have been like September. And he looks at it and says, well, I, I don't see anything. I think you're okay. Well, she, she wasn't. And by like December at Christmas time, we all can see like, mom, you're just, you're not right. You know? So we yeah. get her in to see the doctor in January. It's like late January before she can get there. And that's when she gets this news that she has this uh, malignancy and it's spread to her lymph nodes. And really and truly she was covered up with cancer, probably even back in, in the fall. Oh, wow. And so, um, in late January, early February, you know, they do all these, these labs and path reports and all this. And they, the news came back and it was not good. They told her she had three weeks to live at that point. Oh my goodness. Um, and so we start, you know, emergency, you know, chemo, radiation, all that kind of stuff, just to, mm -hmm. just to, you know, it's total Hail Mary stuff. Um, mm -hmm. She's on every prayer list in every church in our town, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and I, I believed that uh, God could hear those prayers. I believed that God could heal her, but, um, but the mercy we received was not that. Uh, the mercy we received was that she, she lived six weeks instead of the three, mm. um, and she she passed away uh, in March of my junior year of high school. Wow! My goodness. So, um, so this part is where I have to be really honest and tell you my response as a 17 year old to losing both parents, um, which is much different than as a 10 year old, uh, partnering with God and saying, it's okay for me, you know, for you to take my father. If you're asking what I want, God, I don't want my dad to be in this condition anymore. You know, like I prayed that prayer then, but at 17, I couldn't, I couldn't say that. Um, I was angry and, um, I really began to question what I'd been told about the goodness of God. Um, because I just couldn't square it with my experience, you know? Right. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. This, 
this doesn't seem good. This doesn't seem right. And, you know, I've heard Mike Cope. He's one of my mentors. He he talked about how uh, when you're at a funeral home, you got to be ready because people will say some dumb stuff to you at the funeral home and, and don't judge them because they're giving you all they got, (laughs) you know, but um, but man, we heard some crazy stuff like theologically at the funeral home, like, you know, God must've needed your mom in heaven. Uh, Mm. Not not helpful. Right. Cause I'm like, how can he need her more than me? Right. You know, like what kind of thing is that? And um, you know, just, just that, that kind of stuff. I learned really quickly uh, to hate Romans eight twenty eight, mm. you know, all things work together for sure. good for those who love the Lord. I'm like, ah, sorry, my love for God is is really really low right now, you know, mm. because I I failed to really take into account that there's a team on the other sideline, <laughs> and they get to call some plays too. And I I don't believe it was you know like the will of God for my mom to get cancer, but I do believe in a God who works through even the worst of circumstances to achieve Mm. his purposes. That's the story of the cross, right? That's the story of the empty tomb. But, um, but I give 17 year old me a pass because I was doing the best I could. But um, I, when we left the graveyard after burying my mom, uh, I made a decision that I was not going to shed any more tears over this. I was not going to give God the satisfaction of watching me cry I didn't know if God was real because the God I'd heard about in church sure didn't seem like the God who would do this to you. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And so I kind of hoped he was real because then I'd have somebody to be mad at, but then I sort of hoped he wasn't real because what do you do with a God that monstrous? This was my thought process then, right. To take both my parents before I turn 18, you know? And so, um, and so I lived guys for a long time on that anger uh, and yeah. you can fill the void in your life with anger. If you're wired kind of like I am, uh, that anger will be fuel and it will carry oh, you yeah. farther than you think. Okay. And so I went a full year from the time we buried my mom until the time I cried again. And mm. uh, I don't recommend that. That is not healthy. That is not right. <laughs> but please don't hear me glorying in that at all. Okay. I just, I, I, it was, it was my period of darkness. And yeah. what's funny is how good I was at faking it mm. because I was at a Christian school. Uh, I led singing in chapel that year, you know, my senior year. Like I, I could get up and give the Devo. I was like the president back then we had this like youth group student council thing. I was like president of the youth group, you know? I wasn't Mm. believing actively in a God who works through suffering, you know, (laughs) like I didn't believe any of that, but it was just safer to do that, to keep people out of my business, you know, playing the game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, So it was a really, really dark period. I'm, I am grateful. I had good friends and other good influences around who kept me from maybe some of the more destructive, you know, the typical things that we might do to sort of implode. Uh, in, in, a, in a season like that. Uh, thankfully, mm-hmm. I was busy with baseball and school and you know a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, but no, it was a really, really dark period. And um, every terrible thing you can say to another person, I said it to God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every, every four-letter word, 
You, I mean, I'm just being honest. Like every every terrible, sure. awful thing you could say to God to a person, I said it to God in the hopes that He was like. Because again, I was just I wanted I wanted somebody I wanted some place where I could direct my anger, you know. And I felt like God, you know, the thing that that bothered me the most was um, I felt like God had made me a promise. Okay, I felt like in that whole deal with my dad, you know, you said you'd look out for me. You said right. like, you would be my father for me. And now this is a really self-absorbed way for, for me to look at it at that time. But again, I give myself slack because I was a kid, you know, but you were a kid that, was, that was the darkness. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. had kids uh, who had already lost one parent. I right. can't. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine it being any different. Yeah. And it's just, it's the, the story is just overwhelming to be mm -hmm. honest. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's heavy. And, and so yeah. I, I'm not trying to run off your listeners, but you know, it's, um, it, it was, it was a really, um, a really, really hard, dark period. Okay. Um, but kind of rolling the clock ahead again. So about a year after her, her death, um, my senior year of high school, um, I'm living with my sister. It's one of the advantages of having a, a sister who's 12 years older than you, um, <laughs> Being orphaned at 17, I could just move in with Tara. <laughs> she had a, they had a room up over their garage, and so I could. Uh, it's kind of kind of a, a sort of a finished, you know, little apartment room, really. And so uh, that was providential. I got to move in with her and uh, and her husband, and it, then at that time she had uh, their second son had been born. So that was a good thing. Uh, changing a few diapers in your grief is uh, can be a good thing, you know. Um, but really, you know, I think about. Something Augustine said after, oddly enough, the loss of one of his loved ones. Um, he says, in retrospect, I loved what I love as a substitute for you. Okay. And uh, that resonates with me. I didn't know who Augustine was when I was 17, but looking back on like my own grief, you know, I, I had, I had put my mom in this like bulletproof category, you know, like she, she was everything to me, you know, and, right. and I don't believe, you know, God took her to teach me that lesson. I, I, you know, he wasn't playing, she wasn't just a, a pawn on my board of life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she, she was her own person. Right. But, but I do believe that God revealed uh, to me in hindsight, uh, his enduring faithfulness to continue to keep his promise, even in a circumstance that, to my young mind was unimaginable um, with, with her passing away when I was 17. So, um, so about a, a year later, um, I'm living with Tara. Um, I'm going through spring baseball. We've got a lot of things going on. Tara and her young family, they go out of town for a, um, for like a weekend trip away. So I was supposed to play two or three games that, that weekend. So I stayed back a uh, huge storm comes through town, washes out all the games. So it's Friday and the coach is like, sorry, we're not playing this weekend. I'll, you know, enjoy a weekend off. So I go back to the house. Uh, storm is so strong. It knocks out the power. So, um, like I'm just in this big dark house with nobody around waiting for the power to come back on, you know? And I was 18, I was broke. I had like $3 to my name. So I'm like, <laughs> I could drive into town and go to McDonald's and get the two 99 value meal <laughs> or I can just, you know, sit here. All my friends are out. I mean, there's no, like, literally I have no one to do anything with. And mm. I'm just in this big, dark, empty house. And I start thinking about my big, dark, empty life, you know, and uh, how devoid of, of joy it was. 
Um, mm. I, I, like I said, I've been kind of, I've been going through the motions of going to church and doing all the churchy kind of things. I'm president of the youth group, but you know, am I, am I an active believer? Am I, am I following Jesus in that moment? No way. You know, no, not right. no way. I, I had marched headlong out of the kingdom. Okay. Um, and so I just start thinking about my life and, um, and I got really sad <laughs> and, um, I start thinking about the God that I'd heard about in all those Bible stories, you know, uh, I started thinking about that burning bush and the hand on the wall. And I started thinking about the prayer I prayed the night my dad died. And, and I started thinking about my mom and my, my anger. And, and I reached the end of my anger, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, Anger, you can run on anger for a long time, but it is not sustainable, <laughs> at least in my experience. And you reach a certain point where when the anger runs out, you're looking at this big, huge chasm and, and, and you realize I can't fill it with anger anymore, you know? And, um, and so again, I, I, I kind of, uh, decided in that moment to say, Hey, hey what if this God thing is, is more than you think it is, you know? What if God is more than the preachers say that he is? What if he's more than just the, the funeral home theology? Like, what if that stuff's real, you know? And so it was, it was you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's give this God stuff one more try. So I have to go up to my room. I have to find my Bible, okay? I remember distinctly, like, wiping the dust off of it. It's been that long since I've even looked at the thing, okay? And, and I flip open the Bible, and it... It just, you know, and this is part of the story that I probably wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me. You know, you know what I mean? Because you hear these stories, especially when preachers tell them, and you're like, it didn't happen that exact way, right? You know, but like for me, no, it did. I open up my Bible and it goes to First Peter. It's this passage where he talks about like your faith being refined, like gold going through fire, you know, and and if you stick with it long enough, if you make it through, you know, the fire, all the impurities and all the crud and all the junk that's not supposed to be there rises to the top and you scrape that away. And what you're left with is this solid block of gold, you know, and and there's something about that reading that like broke me, you know, I didn't even fully understand it all, but I knew it and I, like I understood enough to get it right that that God was present in suffering for Peter for Paul, for Moses, for Jesus, right? Present in that suffering in a way to help bring meaning out of it. And um, and I just I just wanted that back. Like I wanted my dad back. I wanted my heavenly sure. father back. I wanted sure. to return home. You know, I'd been in the foreign land for too long. And so I just right there with nobody else in the house, I started to pray for the first time in a year. And all I could say was I'm sorry. That was my prayer. Mm. Okay. And when I said that, man, I'm telling you something inside of me broke. And it was like this flood of tears just came pouring out of me. And I, I can't even say that I cried. Like I sobbed <laughs> in mm. a way that I couldn't have, if somebody else had been in the house, I would have been too self-conscious to do it. Okay. Sure, so I just, sure. I just broke down weeping and, and I felt a sense of peace. And it's as simple as that, man. Like I, God was present in that peace. I came home and he was waiting on me. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and it didn't, it didn't magically make everything better. I mean, you know, it still sucks to have loved ones who aren't like in your life anymore 
and and a prayer doesn't change that. Like so, there's still there's still scars, there's still pain, there's still days where it really 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 hurts, you know. Um, but there was a sense of peace that prevailed through that to sure. know that you know God was was present, that God was choosing to be active in the suffering, you know. And theologically, I believe there's some things can only be rectified by the the new life we experience in the end, right? Some things are just too harmful, too too painful. You know, the resurrection is what we cling to, okay? It's what we continue to look to for, for the future, okay? But there are those moments, those new life moments, those resurrection moments in the present. If we'll give ourselves over to the power of God in that moment to bring about uh, healing, man, he, yeah. he is alive and present to bring that little touch of heaven into our lives, even now, if we would let him, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and, and Jason, you may be, you're already kind of alluding to this. I, I know there's people probably listening to this story and there's, you know, some of me saying, how could he go on even, you know, with the loss of my parents? But, but there's also people probably out there that are experiencing loss in their own life right now. They're grieving and they're in the middle of their grief. And I guess, I mean, I know we don't have any uh, magic words to speak over these, you know, speak over people right. when are going through right. that. But what do you from your, your walk with God and from your experience and from what you know from scriptures, what, what are some things you would want to share with those people that maybe are walking through grief, you know, right now? Yeah. And not, yeah. not seeing an end, uh, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, especially through this holiday season as well. Yes. Right. These moments. Yeah. Right. The holidays are, the holidays are tough. Um, I go through, um, a, a little period here, um, myself, uh, because, uh, like I told you, my dad's, the anniversary of his death is October the 20th. My mother's birthday is October 27th. And then by the time I get to my birthday in early November, I'm like fully missing them, you know? Um, and, and so like for me, it's, uh, it's helpful to acknowledge that, um, I didn't go on, you know, if somebody's saying, how did he go on? How did he make it through? Well, I didn't. Um, I marched headlong out of the kingdom, you know, screaming and yelling four letter words at God. Um, but he didn't strike me down. It's probably what I deserve. Okay. You know, um, he didn't reject me when I had my own prodigal moment and decided that I wanted to go home. God was faithful to keep that promise because he is my father. And there's no place he wants me to be rather than in his home, you know? Mm-hmm. And so clinging to his promises, uh, those help me. Uh, even when I don't feel it cognitively to know what is true. Like in those moments, I feel like you, you have to be able to know where your, where your true North is, you know? Sure. And, and so for me, that's one of the gifts of God's word. Yes, it's true. Okay. Um, but, um, but it's true because of the one who gives it to us because of the character of the one who gives it to us. Right. So it's, it's true because it flows from, um, from the, from the mouth of God. And so for those who are, who are struggling right now, I would say, um, for me, it's helpful to be honest about it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, sometimes in our grief, we make these statements and again, you hear it at the funeral homes too. And I, I'm just, 
I'm a big fan of if you're going to go to a funeral home, like shut up and you don't have to say anything. <laughs> Just be right. there. Totally fine. Right. You know, because if you're going to say something, you're probably going to say the wrong thing. You know, and I feel like I'm on I'm on pretty biblical grounds there. Like the friends of Job, the best things they did was show up when his life fell apart. It all starts going downhill when they start talking, you know. So like sure. I'm a preacher who I pound for pound say more words than anybody around here, right? Like you don't have to say anything. <laughs> uh, it's okay just to just to be present. Um, but if you're struggling with some of those things, you know that like that people say like, oh, you need to be strong for your family. Okay, you need to be strong for so and so. What we're really saying there sometimes is like you need to like mask your feelings and not pretend like this is difficult. And yeah. I just think. Who are you helping when you do that? Right. So I, I think when we're struggling, the best approach is just to be honest about it and to say, ouch, to say this hurts and to give God a chance to comfort us in that. Right. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they're going to be comforted. There's a comfort from God that we can't experience anywhere else. You know, right. and it, it doesn't make it all better. It doesn't it doesn't take away, you know, all of the pain like it, nothing that I've said has brought my mom back, you know, but it only whets my appetite for the day of great reconciliation when I will see my mother along with all the saints and Jesus, you know, that that's what I hope for. Not right. an experience in this life that is devoid of pain and suffering. No, no, like the gospel is all about a God who enters into our suffering. We were already suffering before Jesus showed up, right? There are a lot of weeping moms when Mary gets to hold baby Jesus, right? So we were already suffering. It's just that God enters into that suffering and absorbs it into himself and brings something redemptive out of it. Like that's what we live for. So right. if we're, we're hanging on for that moment. But in the, in the meantime, that's when we get to exhibit whatever strength we get to show. It's not from being this non-emotive I'm made of Teflon. Nothing hurts me. Yeah, I've lost people, but so what? I'm strong for my family. No, no, no. The strength we get to show is what Paul says. We boast in our weaknesses. So mm. I walk with a limp because my parents died when I was a kid. But you know what? Right. I, I love that story because it's a story of a God who showed up for an orphan kid and said, I ain't leaving you no matter what. You know, yeah. even if you cuss right. me out in your teenage anger, it's going to take more than that for me to go running. And maybe one day when you get past your anger, Jason, you'll be able to see that I've been present with you all along. Right. And I think that's huge, Jason. And I, I really mean this for, I think for all people we have, I would say for you, this is probably a catalyst moment in your life that you look back that probably right. has shaped your faith all along. Yeah. There are a lot of us that walk the same path. Maybe we haven't lost a loved one right. or two loved ones um, and mm -hmm. having to kind of grow up, like you said, this orphan, but people experience life and, and brokenness and, and God is there to offer that peace, but, but it takes those moments, right? It takes those moments yeah. of openness enough. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think that's, I think you speaking into this has, has been amazing about how God has kind of brought you through this. And the, even what you said, it's, it's, it's kind of shaped your life and faith and yeah. even probably who you are now yeah because of that and your faith and what you do and all that yeah and you know so i think this applies to everybody you know, people of faith or or you know even those who who um aren't sure what to do with jesus okay um i think 
I think for those of us who grew, grew up in churches, sometimes we're presented with a picture of victorious Messiah more than we are a picture of crucified Messiah. Hmm. And, and I get it like, man, we all want to fast forward to the end and watch him riding on the white horse, right? Like, like we all want him to come and kick evil in the teeth and, you know, and, and that promise is there to be fair. All right. But, but man, like the way he does it is, is the picture of a, of a crucified Messiah. And if, if we're going to live into the story, like we got to do something with that, right? Uh, he chooses to be victorious by being vulnerable. By taking the lowest spot, by by being born in a manger, it's like a you know it's a case. He's, he's born around you know cow dung, right? He's there's he's he he goes to to the cross and suffered <clears throat> the death of a felon, you know, unjustly. Yeah, and that's how he that's how he brings victory. He he willfully Isaiah says is going to take on suffering. He's a man of sorrows. He's not good looking. When he's wearing the sorrows of the world, you know, he's not a Hollywood Messiah. He's a suffering, crucified Messiah. And, and so for those who are listening, those who are like in pain and whatever it might be, my, my deal is grief, right? But for others, it's, for others, it's something different, but it's all pain. It's all suffering. Okay. And we're all broken like that. That's what I love about this podcast is we're talking about it, but that's, that's the universal connecting point of the story of Jesus. You know, he's not just the Messiah for, the cool lunch table, right? <laughs> he, he's the Messiah for everybody. And if you feel like a loser, you feel like you've been kicked in the mouth. You feel like you're, you don't know where the, you know, where the hope can be found. You can find it in Jesus. You find your champion in a crucified yeah. Messiah who says, I'm not going to shy away from the worst kind of suffering, the worst kind of human experience. I know yeah. what that is like, Jesus says. Jason, we really, I mean, <clears throat> I just, uh, we, Doug and I both appreciate so much your honesty and, and I know it's not easy to share these, you know, chapters in your life, but, but being willing to share those and then speak out of those, what has impacted your faith walk and then offering words of encouragement and at least uh, some words of inspiration to those people who may be going through that right now. We, we just appreciate your time today with us and um, absolutely uh, guys. Yeah, Doug and I both are blessed to work with this guy on a day-to-day basis, yeah. and he is as real as he is on this broadcast. I would appreciate that honesty, and and um, well, hopefully, hopefully, offer you know some things that'll that'll reach and touch the hearts of others. Absolutely, okay. yeah, I appreciate you guys too. If I could say one last thing, I would yeah. say that um, you say you know this is this is probably difficult to talk about. It is to a degree, you know, but I I feel like God has really. Um, blessed me, helped me by giving me safe spaces where I can talk about this, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I obviously because of our relationship, I feel like this is one of those spaces, but, you know, so for, for somebody else who's, who's kind of struggling. And even if the holidays are kind of like uh, ramping that, that up more, if you're dealing with grief or, you know, depression or whatever, I think it's, it's really imperative to find those safe spaces, you know, like we, we all need, um, our people, <laughs> you know, we got to right. have that inner circle where we can say what, whatever, you know, and even like the raw unfiltered part of it where, you know, like my version of it is like telling you that I dropped four letter words at God because I was angry as a teenager, you know, like right. having mm-hmm. safe, it, it's taken me a long time, you know, of talking that through with friends to be able to say, okay, you want to know exactly what I've said to God? Here it is, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. 
I didn't grow up in a, in a faith community where, you know, that was kind of encouraged. You know, like my, my parents probably be like, you know, if you're saying that stuff to God, like you better watch out. There's going to be some lightning bolts, you know, hurled your way or whatever. And, and while I wouldn't like necessarily encourage that, okay, it's part of my story and I've got to have a safe space where I can unpack that and say, right. Hey, this is what it was like for me. You know, if I'm ever going to work through that. And so I appreciate you guys giving safe space for that. And I hope for all of us as listeners, uh, we can find those safe spaces where, where God can work through the listening ears um, of somebody else. Amen. Amen. We, before we let you go, Jason, we want to, I'd like to pray over you and pray with you uh, just for a moment. And then he does going to close things out here. But um, again, thank thank you you for for this, this time together. Let's, let's pray. Absolutely. Father God, we just thank you for um, uh, we thank you for brothers and sisters like uh, Jason and who we all have our stories. We're all broken, um, and but we can share the healing that we've experienced through Jesus um, and how that has made a difference in our lives. We we thank you for uh, Jason being willing to share his story with us today, and and we pray, Father, that you continue to bless him as he serves you in the kingdom. Uh, but also as he gives testimony of uh, how he uh, experienced what he experienced, but came through that because of Jesus and the healing power that that God that you give us uh, through Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who may be listening today who are walking through heartache or hurt right now, and may they realize that they don't need to go through that alone, um, and that they also need to know, Father, that you're there present and that you understand and that you're there to um, receive them and help them to walk through this uh, this dark moment in their lives. Uh, Father, we pray that you would tend to bless us, help us to be lights mm-hmm. to those that are in darkness, Father, and without you, we pray that um, we can somehow show that um, we're just imperfect people that have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And and are being recreated through the Holy Spirit to to become more like Him each day. We ask that you continue to guide us and lead us each day, Father. Uh, we thank you for this time together today with Jason. It's in, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jason, again, we appreciate you. And if there's one thing I've learned uh, from doing this podcast, is that no matter what road we've traveled, God has the ability to take that story and make it into a story that shines a light back on Jesus. It's our hope that the, those listening to this today, to you, Jason, and uh, to the stories that we've done and told before is that they'll they'll find a confidence in knowing that God can and will use their story if people are willing to share it. And um, so, so thank you for coming on. Um, for those listening, we appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. You can leave uh, those comments and feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Uh, Please understand that our goal is to honor God by the experiences of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.